weeks we uh, have something really cool happening. Some of you know about it, some of you don't, but it's, it's called What I Wish My Parents Knew. And um, about eight years ago, a friend of mine said that uh, he'd be able to get me a, a meeting with the high school principal of Poway High School. And, and our, motive, our, our approach was just to say the churches in North County Indian would like to serve you. And how can we do that? How can we best do that? I like being a high school principal. And uh, the first meeting was um, a little tenuous because he thought, you know, he was waiting for our agenda. Why are you here? What do you really want from me? And uh, it took about three meetings for him to realize we really are simply here to serve. And we really do care about you and we really do want to help you in any way we can. And so uh, it, was, it was a very interesting evolution of how we ended up where we are, but uh, the collaboration between the churches and the public school system over the last eight years has been so unprecedented because of the relational bridge that was built of trust to where now myself and my wife, Hope, who's serving in the children's church today, um, and all the other high school principals in Poway Unified School District, you know, Westview and Del Norte and RB High and Poway High, uh, Mount Carmel, um, we now get together with our wives and we barbecue together and I've been able to share my testimony with all of them um, and we have we came up with something called what I wish my parents knew we did a man on the street interview uh, interviewing the youth groups interviewing uh, the principals just walked around campus asking the kids what are your top stressors you know what's really freaking you out if you could tell your parents anything what would that be and what are your parents doing well and so out of that, those answers, we came up with six workshops, and now we've had over 4,000 parents go through these workshops, and I, and I am a better parent because of these workshops, and I mean that. It's not just a selling point. These are high-level professionals that are experts in their field that are doing these workshops, and now it's beginning to spread across our, na- our, our, our state because one of our presenters is up in Sacramento presented to lawmakers, and now other people from other states are calling us and asking us, what are you doing? How in the world did you pull that off? How is this collaboration working? It's really a God thing. So, and it's not just for those of you that have high schoolers or middle schoolers, but also for you with younger children, because you're going to be able to get ahead of the curve. As the principal of Del Norte High School said to me, you know, when we're dealing with kids at, at the high school level, we're at the, we're at the scene of the accident. Um, and so you need to back all the way up to when they're in elementary school and learn these things so that you can shepherd your kids well up into middle school and high school and beyond. So it's in a couple of weeks. It's on a Tuesday night. It's being held right here. So the principals will be here. I'll be up here, and our church or the school will be hosting it, and then we break off into workshops. So um, you really ought to mark that off. It's just a couple hours on a Tuesday night, and it'll be right here. So, All right, you guys ready for the word? All right, here we go. Let's pray. We're going to launch into a new series today. Jesus, thank you so much for the power of the word, the written word of God, breathed by God himself. And Holy Spirit, we are expecting you to open our minds today and our hearts to see God clearly so we can see ourselves clearly and be the salt and light of the world. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Okay, so we're diving into a brand new series today that we're calling Identity Theft. Don't let the devil define you. This has been his MO ever since the fall in the Garden of Eden. The human race 
has an identity crisis. Everything that we experience in the earth that is negative, racism, sexism, narcissism, materialism, all religions, power struggles, the battle of the sexes, our insecurities, our fears, our doubts, our beliefs, our addictions, all of it comes from the fall in the Garden of Eden. We are confused. This, the, the, this root, the beginning point, the origin of our lostness happened at the fall. And it has bred such deep insecurity into individuals, into communities, into races, into the sexes that we have been battling ever since. God is the answer. But I want us to look at where it began, and I want us to look at it closely together because the devil has been exploiting our fallenness and our lostness for over 6,000 years now. And the church, followers of Christ, are to be healers. We're being restored by God himself and having his image restored in us and that we are reaching out and grabbing others to draw them in to this recovery, restoration process. But if we don't know who we are, we cannot behave like the church. And so this series on identity is going to be huge. We're going to take a deep dive into God's inner workings and transformations in His people so that we can know who we are and act like who we are so the world has hope once again. Amen? All right. And this is going to apply to every area of your life, your marriage, your parenting, your personal individual self-worth and psyche and behavior, all of it. It taps into all of that. But let's start with the Word of God itself. And I want us to look at the very beginning and where this all started. We're going to go to the book of Genesis. And we're going to actually start in chapter 3, and we're going to start at the fall. Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, now this is obviously Satan who is manifesting himself through one of God's creatures. In the book of Revelations, the Bible uh, calls the devil that serpent of old. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden, which is not what God said. He twists. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God had said, You shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. God didn't say you can't touch it. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. Lie. Lie number one. Jesus called Satan the father, the originator of lies. That's all he does is lie. Lie, lie, lie. Because he knows if he can control our thoughts and our perceptions and our minds, he controls our destinies. Because every action begins with a thought. Every action in your life begins with a thought. And the devil knows that. 
So he messes with our minds, messes with our perceptions, our attitudes. What we believe all begins with a thought. That's why the preaching of the word introduces the gospel to the mind of a man or a woman or a child. And you believe the thought of God that he sent his only son. And that word in the mind mixed with faith drops into the heart, boom, creates the new birth. It all begins with a thought. God thought of you, and here you are. And he created us in his image, which is what we're going to look at today. For God knows that in the day that you eat, your eyes will be opened. Their eyes were already opened. And you will be like God. Identity. Knowing good and evil. Do you see that? He sold them a false identity. It would be better for you if you lived independently from God because you will become something better than you are. He sold them a new identity. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, the lust of the eyes, pleasant to the eyes, the lust of the flesh, pleasant to the eyes, that was the lust of the eyes, and desirable to make one wise, the pride of life, those are the three sins, the three temptations that he began in the beginning and he has carried on up to this day. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. They all began right there. We're going to see that Jesus was tempted by the same three, and he, and he conquered them. We'll look at that next week. She took of the fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened to things God never wanted them open to. And they knew that they were naked. Oh, they didn't become gods. And they sewed fig leaves together and made from themselves coverings because of their shame. That's where shame entered in. We lost our innocence. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day. And Adam and Eve hid themselves. Now, the thing is, they had been walking in the cool of the day from the very beginning of being created. What an awesome, what what an awesome relationship. What a beautiful phrase, walking in the cool of the day. God and Adam and Eve, just walking through the garden that God created for them. They're walking. Can you imagine the conversations? The ease of being with God. Hearing His voice and feeling nothing but pure love and oneness, wholeness, joy. All that was lost. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. We've been doing that ever since. Among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called Adam and even said, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? See that loss of innocence there? To where now the way we dress for success is everything to us. Before, that didn't even matter. Because us and God is all that mattered. We weren't self-conscious. We were God-conscious. We weren't even thinking about ourselves. We are thinking about Him. That's freedom. He says, have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? Of course, 
loved this answer. The man said, the woman. You see, once we become self-conscious, we do the, the blame game. Get that stink off me. Put it on you, right? Become incredibly defensive and denial. It's your fault, his fault, her fault. The woman, now watch this, whom you gave me. <laughs> wow. And that has been going on ever since, right? That you gave me. She gave me of the tree and ate. And then at the end of that chapter, the last verse says, He drove out the man and the woman, and he placed cherubim, those are angels at the east of the garden, of garden of east, the east of the Garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the tree of life so they would not remain in that condition forever. Satan knew that Adam and Eve's identity came from God. So he worked craftily to do this one thing, disconnect Adam and Eve from God. Because if he could do that, he would know they'd be thrown into complete confusion of who they are, why they're here, where did I come from, where am I going, and just start fighting with one another and tearing each other apart, and we've been doing it ever since. And so he is still doing the exact same thing today. Adam and Eve's choice of being independent from God for something, quote, better, caused themselves to be lost in what we consider the apex of life, which is independence. But that's not the apex of life. It's not even dependence. It's interdependence. That's the... That's the that is the place that you want to end up in life, interdependence. Like on a sports team, like in a family, like in a business. Independence is adolescence. You're learning who you are, and you have something to offer the world. Interdependence is where you can mesh with others, and that's where you get this enormous leverage. One can put 1,000 to flight, two can put 10,000 to flight if you can flow together. Like on a volleyball team, my daughter and I were talking down here. She's the captain of her junior varsity volleyball team. We're talking about the synergy of a team and how you've got to flow together to win championships. God and Adam and Eve were interdependent. They were dependent on God, but God had delegated authority to them to manage all of his creation. And Satan interjected himself, separated them through the choice of for something better and that has created isolation competition depression loneliness workaholism unbridled ambition shame all of that we are fallen that's why we blow it that's why we mess up that's why we all sin and the devil uses our fallenness to define us you are losers you're worthless you're unlovable you're unreachable you're broken beyond repair he's the driving force behind all pain and suffering in the earth all mistreatment and abuse he manipulates our brokenness and then shames us for our bad behavior that comes out of our brokenness. And the bottom line is, we simply don't know who we are. Jesus calls this being lost. Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save those who are lost. 
So in Christ, we are found. And he begins this restoration process, which is what the church is all about, is the process center. It's where God is at work in his people, restoring us. And so to reclaim our identity, there's four security questions. You know how you, when you're making out a profile, they ask you security questions to make sure it's you, right? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? The security question, what's your mom's middle name, what's your first elementary school, right? You know those questions you have to answer to make sure your identity is secure? Well, there are four security questions that if you can answer with the utmost confidence, the devil is not going to be able to steal or confuse you regarding your identity, and you are going to be a powerful human being. And here they are. Who am I? That is your biblical self-worth. Where did I come from? That is your origin. Why am I here? That is your significance and your meaning. And where am I going? That is your destiny. We're going to drill down on these four things over this series, and I'm going to tell you, By the grace of God, it is going to wipe out spiritual insecurity. It's going to heal the emotions and the mind. It's going to heal relationship. It's going to to propel you into walking with God and fulfilling your destiny. These may seem simplistic, but the result of not knowing these confidently wreaks havoc. And I'm telling you, I've been pastoring for 30 years, and this isn't just for unbelievers. We are all in process. You know that, right? Just look at your spouse, right? Work in progress. You could put like, we could all just wear t-shirts under construction. When you come to Jesus, the reconstruction begins, but it is a process. That is why we have to have grace, grace, grace for one another. Can we say grace? Just say it out loud. Grace. Love covers a multitude of sin. Not knowing these four questions, I mean, it doesn't even work in practical life. Like uh, talking to uh, Keith Liberto, who's in church today, wanted for a job interview, going back for the second one, and excited, we're praying for that. But what, Keith, what if you walked into that interview, and the interviewer said, so uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, who are you? And you say, uh... I'm really not sure. Don't I'm a little confused about who I am. Uh, where'd you come from? Nobody knows. Uh, what skill sets do you have? Like, what do you have to offer? Oh, no, 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 no. I don't, I don't want to talk about myself. Oh, no, no, no. I, I don't really know. I'm so, you know, I, I don't really have much to offer. You know, the false humility thing. Well, where do you want to see yourself in five years? Where are you going? Uh, I have no idea. We don't know what happens. Nobody knows. You couldn't function as a human being. This is, on a macro level, that's a micro level. On the macro level, this is the condition of the human race. You go into something like the military, and they, they fix that up for their situation. You, you go through boot camp, you have no question about where you came from because you cry for mama every night after they (laughs) and they tell you who you are you are a soldier of the united states military you have no you have no insecurity about who you are 
And they tell you exactly what your mission is and where you're headed and what they expect. There, there's no insecurity. You don't find a soldier going out on the battlefield saying, well, I don't really know where I came from and who I'm fighting for. I really don't know who I'm connected to. And I really don't know how to use this, this weapon here. And I don't really know what my agenda is. I mean, it, it's just, it just doesn't happen, obviously. And yet we do this in life, even in the church. I don't know what God's will is for my life. And we have this deep insecurity between us and the Father. And so it causes us not to relate well to one another, find our place in the body and the kingdom of God and the army of God and know our mission and our objective. But boy, when we do, when it locks in, whoo, we are unstoppable as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about all the billions of dollars and the uncalculable man and woman hours spent in the scientific and philosophical realms, the research that has been done, and the spiritual pursuits outside of Christ to answer these four questions. Who am I? What's my significance? Where did I come from? What am, what am I here for? Where am I going? Do you know all these questions were answered in Genesis chapter 1? Let's go to Genesis chapter 1 and let's find our identity. How about it? Genesis chapter 1 It's right there, right in front of us. And starting in verse 26 through 28. Then God said, everybody say, then God said. See, that's where we begin. Let us, there's the Trinity, make mankind in our image. Woo! Thank you for coming. This series has been great. I'm really glad you were a part of it. Because that right there really solves it all. The problem, obviously, is that that image has been tattered and shattered and marred. And so we're groping and we're trying to, that image is trying to be repaired. Like we get that little pebble in your windshield from that truck that was in front of you. You got that little hole now. And then it begins to creep. Right? You ever had one of those creeping cracks in your windshield in your car? Anybody? Right? And it goes all the way across. Or even worse, it shatters. And you can't see clearly through it. That's how we live our lives. But in the beginning... Let us make mankind in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man and woman in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And God said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Right there, all the questions are answered. Where did I come from? God. Who am I? God's beautiful pinnacle of his creation. Why am I here? To manage and steward all of God's amazing creation. 
Where am I going? I'm going to be walking with God forever. We're going to be doing this for a long time. It's all right there, packed in just those two verses. And in verse 31, it says, and God says, it was very good. Don't let anybody ever tell you, you are not very good. You are created in the image of Almighty God. Yes, we are fallen. Yes, we have sin. But that is not all who we are. You still are an incredible pinnacle of God's creation. You can think. You can design. You can imagine. You can feel. You can love. You can laugh. You can cry. You can relate. You can procreate. You and I still are created in the image of God. Even in our brokenness, we're amazing. Our worship pastor says, mm. <laughs> He's writing a song right now. I want us to drill down today on that one phrase because this really brings the, this is like the fountainhead of healing, what I'm preaching to you right now. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Forgive my terminology, but Satan has crapped on that for over 6,000 years. He has taken that marred, cracked image and said, you're completely worthless. And so we try to get our self-worth, our self-esteem from every other source. We're desperate to feel good about ourselves. It twists us and morphs us into all sorts of weird behaviors and relationships of abuse and drivenness to succeed and all of that comes out of us knowing that we have intrinsically internally knowing that we have fallen from perfection i want us to reclaim that the word image is a representation of the external form of a person or a thing in art you are god's artwork yes We must come to Christ for the forgiveness of sins and to be recreated for us to spend eternity with God. But as one writer said, we are sinfully wonderful. We're a mix mix of brokenness and beauty. And when you come to, yes, we will spend eternity separated from God without forgiveness and without Christ. And in Christ, he begins a supernatural work on us of restoration. But I'm talking to those who have not yet come to Christ and those who are in Christ. Both are still the image of God. Both still bear the image of God. Those who come to Christ begin to be supernaturally transformed into the image of His Son to one day we will look just like Jesus. Thank God for that. But in the meantime, we still have tremendous worth. The word likeness he uses here is resemblance, depiction, portrayal, or representation. Some would say that this is nothing but psychology, saying self-esteem and self-worth and self-image. But here's the truth. The way you see yourself is the way you're going to behave yourself. Can't avoid it.
The Bible talks about the spies that went into the promised land. If you don't know the story, God had promised a certain physical piece of land to his people. They were his people. He was their God, just like you're God's people, and he's your God. And he has made you lots of promises. I'm going to be with you. We're going to slay giants together. There's nothing impossible to those that, those that believe. You're my well-loved child. I've given you the gift of righteousness. Faith can move mountains. I'm with you wherever you go. My sheep hear my voice. I mean, this is about identity. They had a covenant with Almighty God. Nobody could stand before them, but they did not see themselves as the people of God because they did not nurture their relationship with God. So when they came up against this, well, giants, actual giants, here's what they said. Mike, I had this in the, in the notes, but it's a little, little down, a little farther. I'll quote it. You can't jump on it. They went in, they looked at the land, and rather than looking at God and thus seeing themselves as the people of God, And then looking at the giants, they weren't looking at God. They were just looking at the giants. And they saw themselves in the reflection of the giants, not in the reflection of God. And they said this phrase. It's one of the most profound phrases in the whole Bible. We were grasshoppers in our own sight. Therefore, we were grasshoppers in their sight. Everybody say, hello. If you think you're a grasshopper, you're going to act like a grasshopper. And in one of the translations, it says mere insects. Can we turn to your neighbor, even if it's your spouse, and look at them and say, you're more than a mere insect. Just tell them right now. Because, because growing up, somebody made a call, somebody maybe called them some, some names. And I'm going to tell you something. We even do it in the church, even after we're born again, even when we have the Word of God, because of our sin consciousness, because of our sense of unworthiness and our reality that we have fallen from grace, we, as born-again, spirit-filled, Bible-believing teachers, will take things from the Word of God, and we will teach them out of our sin consciousness, like, have you ever heard, I'm just an unworthy worm? Anybody ever heard that before? Worm theology. Okay, half of you have. It's taught. In the body of Christ, that we are, we are just worms. That comes out of, there's only three places in the whole Old Testament where that word is used. And none of them are being used in the context that we use them calling God's people worms. One is that he says, when this, this invading army is going to come against God's people, and God's people are small, and the invading army is huge. He says, oh, thou worm, Jacob, I'm going to wipe out your enemies for you. He was simply using it in contrast that you're like a worm compared to this army coming. But they're not. He wasn't saying you're a worm. He created his people. He loves his people. He calls us a treasure. He calls us his treasure, not his worms. Another place it was used is in Psalm 22, which is a prophetic, a prophetic psalm talking about Jesus, where he says, I'm like a worm. Well, that was Christ on the cross taking our sin for us. When you and I look at ourselves in a mirror, we should see 
God's reflection. Now, I know this is complicated, and so I took it upon myself because I wanted you to see this very clearly, that you and I must see ourselves in God's reflection. When we don't, we're reduced to other sources to find our self-worth, other people, our successes, our failures, creation itself. We got to look at God, and so I took time this week to painstakingly draw a graph, a design that's a little complicated. I want you to follow me, but I wanted to get it right because I wanted to communicate this clearly. And again, I want to say some would call this psychology. Absolutely, I have no problem with that. Psychology is the study of the mind. And the Bible says that we are to worship God with all of our heart, soul, say it out loud, mind, and strength. And when you and I don't have our minds right, we don't have our thoughts right, we are going to be defeated. The Bible says, be transformed by the what? That's right, removal of your mind. Because Christianity is just a blind faith. We're not supposed to use our intellect. For those of you that are listening online and you don't know me real well, let me tell you I was kidding. Here's the true phrase. Be transformed by the, say it out loud, church, renewal of your mind. The way you think about God, the way you think about yourself, the way you think about your worth. Because the way you see yourself is the way you're going to behave yourself. And that's for good or bad. So I drew a, it's a complicated design. I'll give you time. But here it is. I'll take it slowly. Okay, on the left, you have God. And then on the right, as you see up above the head, it's you. And the arrow going back and forth is God's reflection. So, when you and I look into the mirror and we see ourselves, we should have a healthy, biblical image that we are looking at. Rather than us looking in the mirror and either loathing what we see, which most of us do because we see our weaknesses and our flaws and our warts and our zits and our, and our graying hair. Could not believe it. I got my hair cut this week and it was all falling down. It was all gray. I was like, what? It's your fault, too. <laughs> she takes credit. Six kids will give you gray hair fast. And so we try to, you know, pin it up and shave it off and tighten the belt and wear the girdle and a little push-up bra. And we try to put on our makeup and try to do everything we can, man, to push this stuff around and make it look good, right? We don't like hearing our voices on the re- recording or our singing or whatever, right? We, we hate ourselves. There is a low-grade, and some people have a high-grade, self-hatred. This is true. I taught, and it's even taught through some theology, self-hatred is taught in the church. I remember I taught a, a, a third-year level leadership class at a, a, a Bible school, 
and I had seven students, and I was teaching on leadership. I was teaching them about self-love. I said, if you don't love yourself, healthy self-love, you can't lead others because you'll always be looking to them for approval and affirmation. They rejected that theology flat out to where I could not even teach them because they had been taught that if you don't hate yourself, you can't follow Christ. Well, he didn't mean physically, he didn't mean like literally hate yourself. How about the, what he says, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Do you think he actually meant to pluck out your eye or to actually cut off your hand? No, he's saying deal ruthlessly with it because you can pluck out your right eye and still sin with your left one. His hatred is talking about that if you don't prioritize the will of God over your will, you can't follow him. That's what he meant by that. He also said if you don't hate your mother and father, you can't follow me. He also says honor your mom and dad. So we have to understand what he's actually saying in these phrases. But sometimes you take them literally. And they could not get over the fact that I was telling them you have to have a healthy self-love. Look, Jesus said it this way. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And your neighbor as yourself self-love is assumed in the bible paul says this in the book of ephesians husbands love your wives as your own body because nobody ever hated their own body but loves it and nourishes it and washes it and takes care of it there's an assumption of self-love in the bible there's also the arrogance. The Bible says, do not think more highly of yourself than you ought, but think soberly. It did not say, don't think highly of yourself. It said, don't think more highly than you ought. So we look in the mirror and either it's like, ah, it's hideous. Or we look in the mirror like Narcissus did and say, wow, that's pretty, that is impressive. I am in love, right? That's what Narcissus did, right? Narcissism comes from being in love with your own image, your own self. There is a middle of the road where we look at God and we have a clear view of Him, not a distorted view, which most of us do because of our upbringing, because of bad teaching, or just don't know who He is, we, we get funky. But if we have a, the clearer the view we have of God, the clearer reflection we have of who we are in God. That's what this series is about. It will affect every arena of your life. So I wanted to take it to the next level, and I did another diagram, and this one's even more complicated than the first one. So I want you to, I'll give you time. We have God on the left, you on the right, but then we erase God, and now what are we left with? I'll I'll wait, I'll wait for you. That is the condition of the human race right there. Where did we come from? I don't know. Why are we here? I don't know. Where are we going? I don't know. I believe the best definition of... uh, Self-image is this. A healthy, biblical self-image is seeing yourself as God sees you, no more and no less. 
We've got to give a clear image of God. A poor, unbiblical self-image can result in some of these symptoms. A pessimistic outlook on life, lack of confidence in social skills, extreme sensitivity to other people's opinions, defensiveness, inability to accept praise. Self-defeating habits, behaviors, and speech, fear of intimacy because it might lead to rejection, problems in believing or accepting God's love or the love of others. I had this. I was in prayer one day, and uh, I, I had such a hard time believing that God loved me. I had to fight for it. I said, God, show me you love me. Show me you love me. Show you me love me. He kept saying, look at the cross, look at the cross, look at the cross. I was having a disconnect between the theology that God loved me and really knowing that God loved me. Some of you are in the same condition. I know it's just part of the journey. But I'm telling you, the love of God casts out all fear. So the more we can get in touch with the love of God, the freer we become. I was in prayer one day, and I prayed, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. And as I'd prayed it a thousand times, and right in that moment, the Lord spoke to me and said, if you want to be in my will, then you have to love yourself because I love you. And I was like. I mean, I was stuck. And then he said this to me, if you don't love yourself unconditionally like I do, then we are not on the same page. That was hard. What's, that, what's up with that? Why is that so? That we would hate ourselves like that. Not being able to love ourselves and then think it's some kind of secular psychological teaching. To love yourself. God said, I love you and I love you unconditionally. So if you don't love yourself unconditionally, then you're not, my kingdom come, your will be done in your life. Well, I love you and you don't. So I'll wait for you to get on my page. So you know what I did? I did some one of the most uncomfortable things I've ever done in my life. I looked in the mirror straight into my own eyes for the next six months and I would say, I love you unconditionally. I'm telling you, it broke down self-hatred criticism, negativity, and thoughts about myself until I became my own best friend. And I was on God's page. He loves me. I'm telling you, giving myself grace. Look, you might think this is the weirdest thing I've ever heard in church. Well, look, if you, if you, if you think loving yourself isn't right, then why do you require other people to love you? Like you get mad if they say something ugly about you, right? They offend you. They say something, you know, about you. Why are you getting upset? If you're unlovable, then there shouldn't be an issue there. Or why do you get upset if they say something ugly about your kids? Well, they're sinners too. You see, you, you see the confusion? This is why things like Ancestry.com are so successful. I want to know where I came from. What's the real question? Who am I? 
Fortune telling also is a multi-billion dollar industry. Where, what, what, what does my future hold? God is so God, though. God is so God. He not only calls us who we are, He calls us beyond what we could ever be. When you and I start allowing God to define us and not the devils and not ourselves and not other people, I mean, like, look, if you disconnect from God being the source of identifying you, we're stuck with one another. We're stuck with people. I mean, as you and I grow up in life and we're little toddlers, we don't know who we are. We see ourselves in the reflections of our mom, our dad, our brothers, and our sisters. And as moms and dads, brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles speak negative words over us, you're stupid, you're no good, you'll never amount to anything, you're constantly screwing up. And those words and the attitude and the actions, the abuses, the mishandlings, those are mirrors that we're seeing our reflection in. That's why I thank God for Christian psychologists. The Bible says one of the names of the Holy Spirit is the spirit of counsel. Helping people who have fractured images of themselves by seeing themselves in the reflection of unhealthy, abusive relationships need their glasses cleaned. That's why the church needs to be the most affirming, encouraging, uplifting, believing in one another, carrying each other's burdens, speaking the truth and love to one another, places on the planet so that we can be partnering with Jesus as he is restoring his image in all of us. Can I hear an amen? We need to be positive mirrors for people. I'm not saying we don't call sin sin and call people to repentance. But we need to do it in a spirit of love and hope and grace and mercy. Listen to this story about a girl named Karen. As she walked into the counselor's office, she resembled a stork, tall, lanky, and stooped. Her bearing depicted her deep sense of inadequacy and depression. Her clothes spoke of poverty and farm life in the Midwest. Her behavior showed that she felt anything but good about herself. She was almost childlike, a frightened waif with eyes that darted about the room. Everything about Karen said, no one could possibly like looking at me. No one would ever consider me important enough to pay attention to me. She had sought out a counselor because she was sure her husband, who was a pastor, would have to leave his ministry if she were caught in what became compulsive habits, shoplifting, and more recently abusing a child she took care of. Karen's poor self-image had resulted in an inadequate sense of self-worth that it contributed to her sinful actions and habits. And these compounded still further her poor view of herself. Could Karen's self-image and sense of self-worth be altered today because she went to a Christian counselor who helped clean her glasses and see God accurately, therefore she saw herself in God's eyes? Today when you run into Karen, you see a significantly different woman, a vibrant pastor's wife, a loving mother of three children of her own. This is what we're to be doing for each other.
I have uh, like two-thirds of this sermon that I haven't preached yet, and obviously I'm not going to. But I want to say that throughout this series, what we are going to do is we are going to look at the Word of God. Remember the very beginning, did God say? See, Satan knows that God's Word is where we get our source of information from, who we are, where we came from, why we're here, and where we're headed. And so we're going to use the Word. I want to see you dive deep into the Word family of God. And we are going to have our minds transformed and our minds renewed. I'm going to leave you with this big chunk of Scripture because this chunk right here is going to ground you in these three things. I'm going to close with this. I'm going to ground you in these three things. Your acceptance in the Father. Are you with me all the way down toward, toward the bottom, Mike? As you get grounded in the Word, your identity is going to be secured in these three things. One is your acceptance in the Father. Your worth in the Son, because His blood bought and paid for you and I, so He considered us worthy of His blood. And your competency in the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit causes Peter, who was a fisherman, to become an apostle. Peter never saw that coming. David, who was just a teenager playing the guitar, being the king of Israel, David never saw himself in that light. And so I want us to close with this, uh, this powerful scripture. In the book of Ephesians, and in chapter 1. We're going to read 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of... Wait a minute, I'm going to go to New Living Translation. Paul, this letter from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ. I want you to look for these three attributes. Your acceptance in the Father your worth in the Son, and your competency in the Holy Spirit. By the will of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Jesus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before He made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in His eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into His own family by bringing us to Himself through Christ Jesus. Did you catch that? God decided in advance to adopt us into His own family by bringing us to Himself through Jesus Christ. That's acceptance by the Father. This is what He wanted to do, and it gave Him great pleasure. Can you look in the mirror and say, I bring God great pleasure? So we praise God for this glorious grace He has poured out on us who belong to His dear Son. There's your worth. He is so rich in His kindness and grace that He purchased our freedom with the blood of His Son and forgave us our sins. He has showered His kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us His mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fill His own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, He will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For the, He chose us in advance and makes everything work out according to His plan. God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have heard the truth. 
the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own. By giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is the guarantee that will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would bring praise and glory to God. Self-esteem, self-worth, the way you view yourself is not ultimately about you. It is ultimately about the glory of God. They saw themselves as grasshoppers, so they behave like grasshoppers, and what do they end up doing? Running in fear and lost their destiny, did not take over the land, therefore they did not glorify God with their lives because of the way they viewed themselves. I like to say it this way. When you shine, God shines. Don't hide your gift under a bushel and call it humility. That's not humility, that's fear. You were to step up and say, every part of my being, spirit, soul, body, my intellect, my emotions, my thoughts, my creativity, ingenuity, my service, my sacrifice, my money, everything about me, I'm going to use to its fullest extent. Because when I do that, it's reflecting God. Amen? Amen. And that's just the opening of our series. So Joshua, come on up here. Now I know today many of you have battered self-images, battered and tattered. I get that. I was driving down the hill with my daughter, and we were talking about a friend of ours who has such a low self-esteem that people's opinions of her control her life. And as much as we, and we as people, can speak into people's lives and be a positive influence for them, they have to ultimately get it from God himself. And so I want to ask you to do something real quick before we sing this song and then head out. The Neck Group leaders are going to be out front. I want you to meet some of them, find out what their groups are, find a group to plug into. Let's dig down into the series. I'm going to do a sermon-based group. We're going to walk through the series together and walk it out. But I want you to come to the Holy Spirit right now, and I want you to ask Him this question. Because, look, some of you have been severely mishandled, and your self-worth and self-esteem are tattered. But listen, God's not going to leave you there, neither are we. He's restoring you. You're going to become fully and wholly a reflection of God again. The work has already begun. He's continuing it. You're getting better. You're not getting worse. Sometimes when stuff comes up to the surface that's ugly, that's just, that's just a purification process as gold goes into an oven and then some of that the, the, the stuff comes up. You skim it off and then until that gold is so pure that you can just see right through it. That's the process you're in. You're getting better, not worse. But I want you to come to the Holy Spirit right now. I just want you to close your eyes. And I want you to ask Him this question because God is the source of your self-worth. Ask him this question. How do you see me?
Okay, now. You notice I didn't ask you to ask the devil. Because he's already been talking to you. What came into your mind when you asked that question? I just want you to shout it out. My son. Not a slave. A son. Somebody else. What came to your mind? Because God will speak to you as a father to a daughter, father to a son. And he'll speak quickly. Full of joy. Loved, did you really hear that? Love beyond measure? Oh my goodness gracious. How would that change you? How would that change your life? Love beyond measure. Whew. Feel that strength, that joy. A little puny human being comes and says something negative to you and say, I'm love beyond measure by the creator of the universe. Somebody else. What did you hear? What did you what thought came into your mind? That's God talking to you. Soldier in his army. Watch out for him. Somebody else. Accepted. That's what the first thought that came to your mind was accepted. So you don't have to perform for the love of God anymore. You're already accepted. Somebody else. Unique. Yes, you are. <laughs> and that's a compliment. Somebody else, what came to your mind? Really? Wonderful. These are the words of God. Let's sing this song.